Today we have John Moan. He is one of the most wonderful producers I've ever worked with, and I've worked with probably around 50 to 100 producers. That's just, I've actually worked with far more than that, but I mean actual producers I've worked had with. Had a relationship with. Right. Rather than just thank like, you. we had worked. Had a relationship. Because you, <laughs> you look at a movie, and there's 15 producers sometimes, yep. you know? Yep. And most of them I didn't work with. You know, you, know, you never even meet. You yeah. Know? Yeah, a lot of them don't see the set. Yes. Right? Yeah. And John was the producer on uh, King Richard and Emancipation. And what else did we work on? Uh, did we work on anything else? Bad Boys 4. Bad Boys oh, 4. Yeah. Did yeah. Bad Boys 3 too? Uh, I was just there was for it? the very tail end, giving notes on the reshoots. But mm-hmm. that, I showed up with months ago before the movie came out. Right. Is when right, I started. Right, right, yeah. Right, right, right. So yeah. you would have really met on King Richard. Yes, King Richard was our oh, yeah. real time, our bonding time, oh, where I got to see the magic that, that Coach and Kay do, and yeah, it was and it was such an uh, awesome experience, obviously for us. It, it um, really was a magic. creatively, yeah, and with the weird COVID pause in the middle, but coming back stronger and getting it done anyway, and yes, it was special, and it was the type of performance that required your guidance, right? It was it was one of the, it was a performance movie, um, yeah. And obviously, you guys did amazing work, and so yeah. did Will, and. Everyone, that, and the reason we're talking about this is that most people have no idea of what the level of collaboration that goes on. They, they really think that, oh, the director does everything or the producer d- does everything. And Yeah, people like to give credit to different parties for they were the one that made it happen. Yes. And that's just, frankly, impossible. Yes. <laughs> you might say, like, oh, this person has a more visible part of it, but to put the credit or the blame on any certain person's shoulders is not really deeply understanding how, how deeply collaborative this industry is. 100%. I mean, I see that a lot with uh, people talk about an actor's performance, and oh, they, but they credit the... They, they credit the actor with some of the work the writer did. Right. Right. That's like right. that that actor is so smart and funny and witty and like yes they, they definitely probably are but they they had a script that some really smart witty person <laughs> handed it's them right so, so true. acknowledging that their brilliant dialogue um, they didn't just come up with it on the fly that I day they, they they were they had some partners but they believe it yeah. yes it's such no, a powerful really. illusion right yes a lot of times when I read in the newspapers they'll say uh, Marlon Brando said blah blah blah. No, no, it was Tennessee Williams that said blah, blah, blah. <laughs> exactly. No, really, it yes. was him. Yes. And, then, and it came out of Marlon Brando's mouth, yeah. yes. and yeah. we credit him with that. But it is, you know, we're all standing on the shoulders of the person that is also creating next to us. And, and uh, it's so interesting even when you think about um, King Richard, because King Richard, I know, um, I wasn't there when you guys were in the process of being in the room, like in the pre-production mm-hmm. process, but Aaron would come home every day and tell me like, this is happening and this is how we're changing things. And, you know, th- this guy had a great idea and the writer had a great idea. And then Ingenue had a great idea. You know, yes. like there were so many um, voices that contributed to that script. And I think that's also part of what made it so great. Will wanted input. Big time, and he he you know he got it from the Williams family. He got mm. it from our director, from our writer, from his mm. fellow actors, and also he. I'm sure you remember he he had us dig up all the um, as much uh, interviews as we could find videos. from Richard Williams and videos. Yes, and he wasn't looking to like copy him, but he wanted to understand how Richard Williams thought and spoke, 
and get that little affectation of an accent right mm-hmm. um, and take that on. And like it was really important to Will to go deep into that and honor the guy, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. And he did something that is very rare. Usually I've worked on a lot of movies. Very rare. He got everyone in the room, the writer who, who won an Academy Award for, I believe. Nominated. Right. Nominated. Right. Right. And the director and the producers, a couple of the producers. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was uh, uh, Tim and, and Tim and Trevor, Trevor White. Trevor White. You. Yep. You know, and Will. And, and they started tracking. Do you remember tracking each character's yes. journey? Yep. And finding out where there were holes or problems. And then the writer would continue rewriting every day, come in. The script was fantastic by the end of that process. A very unusual process. It was. But th- that technique of, you know, kind of tracking the, the character lines is, a, is is something you should apply to every movie. Mm-hmm. You know, King Richard was so important because it's such a character-driven movie. But yeah. we do try to apply that to every single script we develop uh-huh. um, because it's an easy blind spot to... To, to kind of not recognize, you know, yeah. um, you focus on the hero a lot of times and you kind of forget <laughs> yeah. everybody else, right? Right, it's and their so, movie. <laughs> yeah, so it's so important to, 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 you know, one of the kind of litmus tests we like to play with is like, okay, it's not the hero's movie, it's the villain's movie. It's the best friend's movie. It's the, and, and let's pretend the movie was told from their perspective. What's right. their story, mm-hmm. right? Right. Because you could have told King Richard from the perspective of course, of the two young girls, mm-hmm. yeah. definitely from Anjanu's character. Mm-hmm. You could have told it from the coach's perspective. Mm-hmm. You could have told it from the dad's perspective, which is what we ended up doing. Right. Um, but if you do that test and you say, okay, if this is Anjanu's movie, what's her journey? What What does she want? What's holding her back? What's her victory at the end of this story, right? Right. And her story, as we know, is really cool. It was... I got this crazy husband <laughs> who who's crazy like a fox, you know? Like, he's yeah. he's he's... he's He's a trailblazing, you know, brilliant guy. He's also a wild card. Yeah. And yes. and she had to keep it together. Yeah. Like had to clean up his messes and, you know, keep hold, him on the rails. Yeah. Hold the family together as right? well. Yeah. So mm-hmm. she's like the the voice of reason in the movie. She's the anchor of the movie. She's the mature one mm-hmm. <laughs> in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a critical scene in the movie where that all comes out in the kitchen when they have the kitchen fight. Yeah. Right. That was an awesome lesson for all of us that day. I don't know if you remember what happened, but um, whole movie's going smoothly. Yeah. And we showed up on that set, and we at production design had missed some, like, modern equipment in the kitchen of right. the house that we had rented. You know? The movie takes place in the mid-'90s, but there was, like, a 2000s fridge or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah, and so we, re- we walked into the scene, and Will, of course, is like, wait, that's not period authentic. And everybody's like, oh, shit, what do we do? <laughs> so we had to move the camera around in the set to kind of avoid some of these non-authentic period things. Um, And in doing that, we ended up like missing the proper coverage. Mm -hmm. And so halfway through the day, Will and Anjani realized our coverage angles were off Mm -hmm. um, and they had to redo it. And it was the biggest disaster of the day we had. Like the set's wrong, the coverage is wrong. We ended up having to reshoot the scene halfway through the day which meant we weren't going to be able to get the next scene we wanted to shoot that day on the on, on the, the stairs, stairway, right? which is when when Richard yeah. tells Serena that it's right. going to, someday it's going to be her turn. Which mm-hmm. right? they moved mm-hmm. on to the tennis so, court. So we spent the whole day shooting the kitchen scene by mistake, <laughs> and we and we were like, it's going to be it's going to be a bad scene, right? Um, and we loved the Serena moment, but now we got nowhere to put it. 
Right. So what crazy happened is it ended up being one of our best scenes creatively mm -hmm. because Will and Anju in the redoing it had time to really get under the hood of that argument they have and really capture what they were trying to do there. Yeah, it's a great scene. Right? Oh, and, yeah. and it forced us to push the Serena moment to the stadium, yeah. which is, of course, where it should be. And yeah. we didn't know that until, no until we were backed into the corner where we said, well, we still have this awesome Serena scene. We've run out of sets. All we have left <laughs> now is the big tennis environment. Yeah. And... I don't know who, I, I can't take credit for it, but there was the eureka moment, which is, wait, he should have the Serena talk on the courts with her staring mm -hmm. at an empty court mm -hmm. with huge, with a huge stadium, feeling the weight of what her destiny might be. That's the moment where dad needs to say, it's, it's going to be your time next. That's the collaboration that I'm talking about. Yeah. Someone had to realize there was a mistake and that's where the producer comes in yep. because now that there's a, a, a terrible mistake, what do you do, right? Yeah, you could have said no. We're gonna have to leave it. Some people would, right? Mm -hmm. So, and then somehow you guys all got together, meaning the producers, because there was a few of them. There was probably four or five yep, of them. Lynn Harris and Tim and right, Trevor. Right. And yeah, there's a whole a whole squad of really good producers there. Yeah. yeah. And said, no, we're, we're not going to do this. We're going to do this another time. And if you yeah. lose that we're not scene. We're going to give that up. Right. right. Yeah. If you lose that scene, suddenly you miss the end of her character arc. Yes. You don't get that forward movement of like what is the future for her she just sort of fades into the background without that moment it's also yeah. one of the most moving moments i started weeping of course of course <laughs> because it's daddy and daughter and it's just so powerfully uh, emotional for with the powerful yes. thing of this empty stadium oh. it was it was shot on a staircase the original version the yeah. shitty version i remember we tried, it. We tried to squeeze there. it in we had an hour left in that night in the yeah. kitchen scene and we said well we better just try and get it since we're here and it was a awful scene and it was an awful environment because you were so jammed you had like six feet of space between the camera and the right. wall no room and anybody. so it's like bad flat background rushed performance mm -hmm. everything wrong it was the best thing that ever happened to us yeah <laughs> That's where the producers come in to have the bravery to say, like, this is not going to work. We'll, yeah. we'll make it work later. Yeah. We, we always love that scene, to your point, Kay, and we wanted to protect it. Mm -hmm. And it, like, at least we knew that. We knew, like, we're not letting it die. Mm -hmm. Like, we will find a way. If we have to beg for more days, mm -hmm. we'll figure it out. Luckily, we were able to squeeze it into that environment we ended up in. But, like, we had kind of vowed we're not letting that one go away, no matter yeah. what. May I add to this what you're saying? He said, uh, uh, John said, beg for more days. Uh, there's a budget. And that's what <laughs> oh, yeah. John's talking No, a lot of people don't understand when <laughs> yeah, you say, yeah. they would say, what do you mean beg for more days? Right. Just get just get more money. Right. Just get more money and do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. it doesn't work like that. You can sometimes get more money. And, and an example is on the same shoot. They originally had planned to go south and shoot yeah. in Shreveport, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Where he was where he born. says goodbye to his mom, right? Her, her, and his, his mom's mom, grave and the and whole thing. Yeah, all that was in there. Remember? Yep, they had to cut that all. All that. Yes, for budget. For and, budget. And yeah. it was the right. And it's funny because I think filmmakers, producers, directors, actors, like left to our own devices, we would take as many days as you'll give us. Right? Oh yeah. Like, like, you're as like much you're going to give me 500 days yeah. to shoot this? I'll shoot it we in 500. <laughs> yeah, and all the cranes and all the drones and all the cool. Like, give us all, but. We don't actually do our best work when we have unlimited resources. Like, yeah. you know, being forced to be creative and put the Serena scene on the courts where we already were shooting was an efficiency. Mm -hmm. 
And it was also the best it could have ever been. And if Warner Brothers had just said, no, here's another you know, right. million dollars for a couple more days, we, we would have tried to stage it elsewhere and it the, right, probably right. would have been inferior. It right? would have been so, inferior. So money and days actually didn't, wouldn't have helped us out of that situation. What it required was creative um, adaptability, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. being, and, and that's why you, you see a lot of great filmmakers make some of their best work when they're still scrappy. And when they get bloated budgets, they maybe don't do their best work. Yeah. You know, there's something about the pressure of having to rely on your storytelling instead of uh, just more gack, you know? Yes. Right? Yeah, the more money is not necessarily going to lead to a better product because now you've got your dream list, but you're not thinking creatively on the point of view of like, oh, wow, this is not going to work. Uh, why don't we try something else that that will t- do the same yes. thing, fulfill the same story but, beat without the big thing? And that's what we're talking about, a, a great producer, depending creative producer. The great producer is going to think on their feet and make it work. And 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 the, the great directors and, and right. producers together need to do that, right? And yes, and that's the like, one of the other things that we learned, we had another movie where we kind of had a last minute uh, requirement to cut a, a big chunk of the budget, mm-hmm. and we were all mad about it. How mm-hmm. how dare they make us cut our budget and blah blah blah? <laughs> uh, but we rolled our sleeves up and we and we said, okay, if we had to squeeze this movie into that smaller box, how do you do it? And the movie got better for it because what also it required you to do was kind of acknowledge what really mattered in the movie mm-hmm. and and focus on what really mattered, and maybe some of these tangential ideas were just an indulgence and maybe even a distraction, mm-hmm. right? So when the studio forces you to cut the budget, it forces you to decide what really matters. Yeah. And it means the distractions fall away. Yeah. And you start to get really precise about why you're here and what you're trying to do. I love that. Right? And, so, and I want to be clear, yeah. it's it's not the studio's fault. The studio's putting up an insane amount of money. Insane. And it's all their risk. It is right. their risk. It, that's it, right. Somehow people think that, well, if the studio loses all this money, it's not a big deal. What are you yeah. talking about? It's a hundred million dollars. <laughs> Major deal. Major yeah, it's deal. not your yeah. money. And so yeah. you have to take the responsibility of that seriously. But let's now yes. let's yeah. now get to that's what one of the things a producer does. Yeah. But producer, and by the way, before you move on, go ahead. Yeah. if there are any studio executives listening, we still want more money. So, <laughs> 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 so yeah. give us more. Yeah. Who who doesn't want more money? <laughs> Better craft service yeah you know <laughs> maybe we shoot in london instead of albuquerque yeah shoot in london I'm, put me on this show man yeah. <laughs> like maybe even hawaii you know who knows yeah you know, depending on what the story wants right i i always say that why why are they not shooting in hawaii this is like a, a much more fun for i know somebody was saying like why did why did um george clooney and uh julia roberts do that movie ticket to paradise and i was like i think maybe because it was shot in Bali and they could take their entire family there yeah. and it would be fun to shoot with those people like yeah. y- you know you you really have to think about like these are people who would actually enjoy shooting on a tropical island for a couple yeah. of months like oh, that yeah. sounds nice it I is. would not be opposed to that nobody wants to admit that but it's real yeah if you stage a movie somewhere like that mm-hmm. the talent reading it 
are just a little bit more open, <laughs> yeah, right? right? And vice versa. If you, yeah. you know, no disrespect to Detroit in the winter, no. but if that's no. what they're signing up for, <laughs> no, they better right. love that script. If and you've they better been love in Detroit script. in the winter, I have. Right? I've shot I have, yeah. Detroit in the winter. Toronto oh, in the winter. Oh. You know, it's, it's at or, suicide or, squad. or New shot, Orleans in the summer. For we that, shot, right. yeah, we'll we get did. to that. We yeah. shot that Suicide Squad in Toronto in the winter at night. Yeah, 10 minutes, your hands are frozen. That's when you need that Canada goose down. You know, those big, puffy coats it's oh, yeah. freezing yeah you need the top to bottom you're you're like on the moon let's talk more about you and producing and uh because it's so interesting your journey wait uh, i have a quick question ahead, yeah, because yeah. I, I really want to know and we'll come back I, to I, richard too i more. see yeah. on your imdb that you worked as an actor on something about mary <laughs> <laughs> okay no, that, i need to know yeah yeah that's a good because you know, it, it I guess to explain how I got here, that, that's that's a big piece of it. Okay. okay. So basically, uh, grew up in New England. Yeah. There's no Hollywood culture or anything yeah. out there. So like, to, the idea of being in Hollywood is just like a joke out mm -hmm. there. You know, yeah. um, it's much more grounded. You know, you go to school for law or finance, finance. or medicine or yeah, you know the, the kind of classic stuff. And so anything kind of dreamy and arty like Hollywood just is is a little unrealistic. Yeah. Typically the way yeah. it's received out there. Um, so that's how I was raised. But I love movies, and I grew up on an island, Martha's Vineyard, mm -hmm. um, as a townie, not as a you know fancy guy. So I, you know, like <laughs> yeah. it was just basically long, cold winters, playing a lot of sports, watching a lot of movies. Right. Um, there was no mall. There was no entertainment other than outdoors, sports, and yeah, you and might the, as well have VHS grown up in Iowa, frankly. Down the street. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, like a very small, you know, a hundred thousand in the summer and ten thousand in the winter, kind totally. of a thing. So you know, watching movies really kept you going. Yeah. Um, so I didn't know anything about Hollywood, but I, I knew I loved movies, commercial movies. I wasn't like fancy into, you know, art films. Bellini. Yeah, I was into like every Bill Murray <laughs> movie, every Chevy Chase oh, movie, yeah. Freddy Krueger, you know, great. Aliens, Who Top Gun, you know, the, 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 big, the robust yeah. action, comedy, horror, commercial We were films. kids, we yeah. all loved it. Yeah, I was like a down the middle audience member yeah. uh, for Hollywood, right? Mm -hmm. Like I just loved the big stuff and the yeah. fun stuff. Um, so yeah, I didn't know anything about the business. Went to college in Vermont, um, studied English literature, mm -hmm. which is kind of a, <laughs> a bit of a dead end uh, major, <laughs> unless you want to be a lawyer or a teacher or, you know, a kind writer. of those things. And, yeah. and, but, and those are awesome professions. And that's kind of where I thought I was headed. Yeah. Got into law school, um, deferred for a year because mm -hmm. I didn't want to go straight from undergrad to, to law school. Mm -hmm. So now I'm looking down the barrel of like, I have a year before I got to go back to law school. Yeah. You know, what do you um, want to do with that year? It's so interesting that you chose to defer. Yes. Was that just a like you wanted more life experience or what? No, no, it was literally like panic and backing into a corner. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So basically I'm an English major. Panic what am I gonna do? Good. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess yeah. I better go to law school. So I applied to law schools and I got into one. You mean nothing had to do with being a virgin? <laughs> at that point, you know, that knows just law. And, yeah. well, no, and, and, like, and by the way, we had like a family friend who like helped me get in. It was yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, but it was yeah. one of those situations where like I think deep down I was like hoping to not get into law school. So I could be like, well, I tried that, you know. And all of a sudden they're like, you're in. So, so it's like Georgetown Law. You oh, know, my God. That's I, I got to move to D.C. And, and study law. And I wasn't excited about that. But it just seemed like the responsible thing to do. You're a surfer dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Exactly. No, that's that's your natural good. state. Yeah. So, so um, that was all happening. And then, not to be a bummer, but like that winter, my younger brother died in a car accident. Mm. Um, you know, classic driving on New Year's Eve yeah. kind of accident. So, um, 
that was kind of a shock to me in my senior year, winter senior year. So I got a semester left and I'm going to law school. And so the combination of not wanting to go and my brother passing, I was like, I'm going to take a year off. I'm going to move to LA and enjoy the sun and the surf. And I got a good buddy I grew up with who's trying to be an actor and he's got a place I can crash. So I'm just going to take a year off and just get a break from the East coast and the cold and the studying and, and the shit that I, that I was going through. Right. So came out here and uh, my dad, how old were you? I was 21 and and my, and my dad, 21 in California. Yeah. And my dad grew up with the Fairley brothers back in New England. Um, And so I remember in 1994 as a senior in high school, Dumb and Dumber came out and we went to the theater in the vineyard and I was like, doubled over my seat. I was like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. Brilliant. Um, Oh my God, Dumb and Dumber. And then right when my brother passed senior year of college, 1998, um, uh, they were making something about Mary. Mm -hmm. And to distract us from that moment, they invited us down to Miami for two weeks uh, in February, like a month after it happened. Mm -hmm. And um, they put us up and and basically just like, hey, you get to watch this. So I got to see a movie getting made in Miami with you know Cameron Diaz and Matt Dillon yeah. and it was and you know it was like yeah, it was really great cool. great filmmaker. So that was my first like exposure to filmmaking because my dad's buddies mm-hmm. ended up becoming you know meaningful filmmakers. Yeah. Um, and so we sat on set for two weeks and they threw me in as an extra. Great. Right? Um, yeah. You know the comic book kid. I, I basically like I had to Love walk it. out of a building to open the door so Ben Stiller could walk through the door behind me. Yes. You know? Right. Right. Um, right. And they like gave me a credit just because they're friends. And, yeah, of and course. It didn't deserve a credit, but it, you know, I got a credit. Yeah, it's um, cute. It's nice. Yes. And they dedicated, if you see the movie, they dedicated, the, the, that movie is dedicated to my brother. No. At wow. the end of the movie, I, it says dedicated I, to I, Ryan Moan from West Brave, Massachusetts. And, um, I didn't know that. Yeah. So that movie, of course, went on to become a huge hit. Huge. And uh, Peter Farrelly and Bobby Farrelly were represented by Richard Lovett. Um, and so when I moved to LA, they called and said, hey, will you give this kid a job in your mailroom mm-hmm. while he takes a year off before going to law school? Mm-hmm. And so that was my introduction to the business. So yeah. I kind of had that like foot in the door uh, and showed up there, didn't know anything about it. Literally thought CAA stood for California Agents Association, <laughs> <laughs> for real. CAA um, is one of the biggest agencies in the world. That's yeah. what just, I just yeah. love. It's so great. Like the the moments of true <laughs> ignorance. It's, oh. it's like you really California. don't know anything. I also think I, I showed it. up in like inappropriate outfit. Like, of course. Like t- t-shirt and shorts or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And everybody's wearing suits, you know. Surfer yeah. dude. Um, and I'm meeting with Richard Lovett. Don't know who, who he is yet. Right. I appreciate that I'm across from a legend. Right. Yes. I, it's just like my dad's buddy's guy who said he'd give me a job at the weird agents association or something. <laughs> so, um, end up, you know, doing the job. And, um, that was the crash course of like what Hollywood actually does. And to your point about like navigating it, that was the like, Oh, this is what producers do. This is what mm-hmm. studio executives do. This is how movies get made. Um, cause there's no better place than an agency to learn that. Cause mm-hmm. it's the hub of everything. Yeah. Right. Everything passes the deals, through the agencies, everything. right? Yep. All the movies have to pass through the agency. So mm-hmm. it gives you this like really cool 30,000 foot view of the business. Um, and that was, and so within three months I was like, okay, I'm doing this now. I called my parents, canceled law school. Yeah. They were cool about it. Thank God. Yeah. Um, and then just kind of rode out the first couple of years in the yeah. CA training program and, and, and started to get my bearings and started to understand what the various categories did. And, mm-hmm. 
knew I was never going to be an actor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but also knew I didn't want to be an agent after I yeah, kind of started to wrap my head around what that you was. You have tremendous knowledge in terms of like writing, in terms of putting things together. I sat in the room with you. I watched what you did. Well, I, the, so the, being an English major, as oh, it turns out, oh, really uh, translates yet, well to totally. being a development executive. Right. Right. And so I didn't know that. But when at CA, one of the things they would do in the training program is they would say, OK, all you guys have to do coverage. So you're all going to read a script. and You're all going to write coverage mm -hmm. and coverage. You, you have to define it. Yeah. Coverage. So basically coverage is um, the Cliff's notes for a script. You know, it's you get you someone, read the script and then you write a short thing. You write out. Yeah. It's, it's essentially a, s a summary and comments. Right. right. So like if, if, if someone asked you to do coverage in a script, you'd read the script. The first thing you do is you would describe it in a page or two, the details of the story. Right. Mm -hmm. And that allows the person reading the coverage to read the script, air quotes, in two minutes instead of an hour. Got it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so, so coverage is a very valuable tool, especially mm -hmm. for like very high level studio executives and producers yeah. who are getting thousands of scripts. Right. The ability to just grab that coverage and at least read the summary, that'll tell you like if it's worth digging into the real thing. Right. Because mm -hmm. you can read the coverage and go, I'm just never making this kind of movie, so I'm not yeah. even gonna bother reading the script. Right. right. And that's a good efficiency right. uh, if you can do it. Yeah. So the way you do coverage is first a really detailed summary and then the comment section beneath, which is what you thought of the movie, how, it, why it works, why it doesn't work, yeah. where you think it's strengths and weaknesses lie, all that kind of shit. Um, but yeah, so, so having been tasked to do that, that was the moment I realized like, oh, it, it's in English, as an English major, you're reading novels, and you're writing essays in Hollywood development, you're reading scripts and you're writing coverage mm -hmm. or notes. Yeah. And it's just, it's almost a direct like correlation. Correlation. Yeah. It really is. Um, so that was the lucky Eureka moment for me where I was like, oh, I actually do have some skills yes. that apply as it turns out. Um, and that was what kind of pushed me towards realizing, okay, you're never going to be an actor or maybe even a writer or director or, or an agent, but being a producer or a studio executive, that is where script development yeah. is a really strong piece of the game and talent well i know i know, I know. that's my job to tell yeah. you that no you know you you have talent look some don't some do you know you do <laughs> you do i'm you know that's it it it's an artistic endeavor the, talking about story is yeah for sure yeah, yeah. Um, you know, well, a lot of people don't understand story. Do you know what I mean? Like yes. if I say to you, you know, a lot of times I'll do this with um, a student. I'll say, so what's the story of this script? And some people can do it really well. And other people are like, this is about a guy who <laughs> mm -hmm. doesn't know, uh, you know, and they can't really pin down what the story is. Yeah. And so it is it is a definite talent. And to be able to elucidate like what is great, what is not working is also an amazing skill. It also is something you learn, though, too, right? Yeah, like, you do learn, like, you got to learn those lessons. So, like, there were, like, you always look back and go, wow, I can't believe I didn't know that back then. Mm -hmm. What an idiot I used to be, right? Like, because, because life is a series of those moments. Yeah. Because over time, you start to recognize, like, story patterns and story yeah. necessities. And uh -huh. um, that's really amazing. Like, like, what you're talking about, the point of a script or mm -hmm. whatever, the mm -hmm. ability to talk about the why of it. Yeah. Um, not everybody can do that. And yeah. not everybody bothers to do that. And it's why sometimes movies feel um, directionless. Mm -hmm. Like the great movies usually have a statement. Yeah. Uh, like a, like th that the, the movie exists to make a statement on greed or jealousy right. or humanity Being, or yeah. whatever. Well, we right? just, we just rewatched the Joker and there's yep. an amazing um, thing where she's looking at his jokes and it says, I hope my life 
makes more sense than my death. Or I hope my death makes right. more sense than my life. And he spells sense C-E-N-T-S. Yep. It, it's repeated again at the end of the movie. It's written in graffiti. And so this like kind of underlining of what... That's what the right, what Todd what Phillips the, was trying to totally, say in that yes, movie, right? right. Hope my yeah. death makes so, like, what's the premise statement of the movie? Mm-hmm. Right, is right. a really important one. Right. You know, Aliens, the Sigourney Weaver, mm-hmm. uh, James Cameron one. You know, it's a statement on the power of motherhood. Yes, right. Totally. It's like Completely. you can have all these badass space marines, but at the end of the day, the two people left standing are mama. Sigourney Weaver <laughs> protecting Newt, yeah. and this mother alien protecting her babies. That's and, right. and it's it's mama against mama at the end. And the, so the, the statement yeah. that I take from that movie is. Like nothing is stronger mm-hmm. than a mother's love and protection. Yes. Get right? away from yes. her, Even you Michael bitch. Bean, who's a badass <laughs> space general. Yes. he's on the sidelines at the end, That's asking right. asking her for advice. That's right. As she as she's you know duct tapes flamethrowers to machine guns. Right. <laughs> That's yeah. right. So it's like, and she starts as the kind of civilian joke, and she yeah. ends as the like hardcore leader. Yes. She is. Right. So that movie had a really clear statement wrapped up in fun. Mm-hmm. And awesome action and great comedic relief and everything, yeah. but like it knew what it wanted to say. Yeah, and that's so why it, it works ha- emotionally and why it endures. Yeah, right? totally. Why we'll continue to watch it because we have a, a powerful emotional yeah. experience when she, you know, she saves the the girl at the end. It's it's powerful. We are emotionally invested. I mean, yeah, you talk yeah. about like story structure, like that is one of the classics where. You know, the whole, the setup is perfect, which the setup is you, you're with Scorny Weaver, she wakes up from cryosleep 50 years mm-hmm. later, and you realize she has outslept the life of the daughter she had. Yeah. Right? So her daughter lived and died in the time that she's been asleep in cryospace, or cryosleep. Right. So you wake, you have this civilian who has lost a child, mm-hmm. and then finds a child mm-hmm. in Newt, right? So the, the, the character, like, needs are so clearly set up mm-hmm. and so clearly paid off. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? At the end of the movie, she's not leaving the planet without Newt. No way at all. She's going to die. Right. Or get Newt. And we've earned that because we know where she came from. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? So, yeah. like, that's just, like, that's the kind of storytelling you aspire to yeah. to find or to develop yeah. or, you know, to work with one of those greats who knows how to do it. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it's yeah. still collaborative. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, even if your filmmaker has, like, a darn perfect vision there's going to be holes and mm-hmm. there hopefully someone along the line a studio executive an actor a writer a producer might just raise their hand and have that one little revelation mm-hmm. or idea that cracks it open or prevents it from falling apart you know um and that doesn't diminish the filmmaker's vision at all if they took you yeah. know a good idea from someone you yes. know um no, and that's fact, the, like taking the ego out must, of filmmaking. You must right? take a good yeah. idea from anyone. Yes, yes. It's the, it's, that's the collaboration. And yeah. That's in itself uh, a gift. It really is. Will talked about taking, Will Smith talked about taking an, an idea from uh, 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 Pierce. Pierce. Yep. That for his posture as King Richard. <clears throat> and yep. he and he said, uh, the bend, cart. bending over, picking up the balls on the shopping cart. Yep. Made him bend over when he was walking. What a an amazing. Right. And Pierce yeah. is his hair hairstylist. I mean, right. he does his hair for every movie and has for twenty years or something like that. Everyone who is as a part of his trusted advisors is allowed on some level to contribute, which yeah. is very that's brave. Yeah, he encouraged, right? Yeah. I mean, he want you know, Will does it, and I think a lot of other smart filmmakers do it, where yeah. they pull. 
people within different departments and also even people outside of the business in yes. general. Mm-hmm. Art- right? Artists yeah. in general do it. Because we're, we all think we know what we're doing and we don't, um, but we try our best. <laughs> right. But you're making content for the audience out there who isn't involved in the filmmaking process. They just care about the story you're providing them, right? So like at the end of the day, you're serving them. Yeah. So if they, if a representative of they has an opinion on your work, it matters because that's who it's for. That's right. Yeah. Right. So like, and that's the whole preview process. You know, so I've been in situations where we cut a movie together and we're sure it's perfect. And the audience just tells us we're wrong. You yeah. Know? Like what you thought was working is not what you didn't think was working is. Yeah. Um, and that's a really cool wake up call when a bunch of really smart, experienced people are wrong and the audience is right. Cause the audience is kind of always right. The end of the movie, uh, my best friend's wedding. Is that what you're thinking? No, about? the, the oh. drama where, uh, he has an affair, uh, with, and then she, she fatal attraction, fatal attraction. Oh, the yeah. ending was changed. They, they changed had to reshoot the entire. Oh yeah. Because it wasn't satisfying. Did, did he shoot her it. and they wanted her, they wanted his wife to shoot her. He, right. It was something he like shot that. her and he goes to jail. That was yeah. her plan. He kills her. Now he just murders the woman he had an affair with. <laughs> yeah. Now I just hate everybody. <laughs> and, and he goes to jail. <laughs> and now this yeah. is the most horrible yeah. ending in the yeah. world. Yeah. <laughs> but the like betrayed wife. Yes. Getting some kind of satisfaction yes. of yes. shutting it down. Totally. Oh, then, we're, then we'll emotion. cheer. Then we'll yeah. cheer. Yeah. Yeah. We did cheer. Because we're rooting Shoot. for her. Yes. Right? Yeah. Totally. Not, not rooting for, for the other two. <laughs> yeah, Michael no. Douglas. Michael Douglas is a little right. like, he messed but, up big time. But you if know? anybody deserves to win in that movie. It's her. It's her. And, right? and she gets and it. They didn't know until the, the audience said, like, this is horrible. I don't like this. Yeah. It's so important to take that. Um that, that 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 kind of fresh advice from an audience and the end of a movie is also so critical, right? It's like, most important. Like you make you can make an amazing first two acts of a movie, but if your third act is a letdown, that's all they remember. When right. when when the movie when the lights come up, satisfying they remember ending. the feeling that they walked out with. And so even if you had them on a total high for the first two acts, if you drop them on the third act, it's just done. Right? Yes. And the opposite is kind of true too. Like you can get away with like a shaky first and second act. If your third act kills it, that's right. That's all they remember also. So it's amazing how important a third act is and how yeah. hard it is to get a third act right. Yeah. Oh, it's right? hard to get everything right. Yeah. Editing right. Lighting right. People, it's, it's all so seamless and invisible. Yes. That no one even knows a movie's being edited. They don't. No. They, I'm telling you, they don't even, they don't understand it's being cut and, Yes, that there's choices. To, yes, yes. Every, yeah. Everything totally. they see on there is a choice. Yes, designed to make you feel a certain way. Right, mm-hmm. right. To like invest you in their goal, and then to make you cheer when they achieve it, or cry yes. when they don't. Yeah. Or whatever, right, like it's all big emotional manipulation. So the reason that I absolutely thought of bringing you on, and I want to make sure we hit, hit this at some point, was I was talking to a brand new producer yep. who was producing for his wife. You, uh, she got to direct a movie, and he got you know, and he he's experienced, but not as a producer. Yeah, he, he writes. He, he did a, so. He said, well, "What is exactly call me? What is exactly does a producer do?" And the answer was so complicated and long. Yeah. I said, "I got to get John Moan <laughs> on the podcast because you can give us a more." I know I have an idea, and I know what producer does, but you are one, and you're not just one. You're great. 
different things that producers do because there's not one producer. There's many types of producers. Yeah. I, I feel it's honestly <clears throat> shrouded in mystery if you're in the position of being an actor. You're like, what's that person do? Yeah. They're just like walking around and having conversations. Like, what's happening? Yes. What is happening? <laughs> we should definitely talk about the onset thing because that is a funny yeah. thing. And, and I'll give you the producer perspective of that because, yeah. yes, there is that, that, that attitude. But, but um, I mean, I guess, yeah, to... You're just exactly right some different in the ones. sense yes. that um, there isn't just a quick answer, right? Right. Because there's so many kinds. I, I know the creative producer side of things, so that's what I can talk more about. But like just to kind of level set on the other types, um, when you see those credits on the screen, fifteen. Of if them. you like Google all them, you can start to see who does what. And it mm-hmm. becomes pretty clear, which is you'll see some producers who were just the money. Right. Right. So someone who has a huge film fund and they provide, you know, uh, $50 million to make the movie, mm-hmm. they're going to take a producer credit on the movie. Right. And they deserve it because they provided the financial resources to make the damn thing. So yeah. so, so that's their credit. But they're not in the weeds in the creative, right? They're a just, stars they're, manager? A stars manager, absolutely. Sometimes P, capital P, sometimes EP, right? They'll, right. They'll, so they'll be on there. Um, maybe a rights holder. Maybe uh, a rights holder means uh, the audience wouldn't know what that. A rights holder, someone owns the rights to the movie, to the script, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. to the story. Yeah. So um, maybe it's a rights holder who owns IP. Uh, maybe it's a rights uh, what's holder. What's IP? Uh, intellectual property. Intellectual. So yeah. So maybe it's someone who owns the rights to Transformers or mm-hmm. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Barbie or, Barbie or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. So so that's a way to, to become a producer because basically your attitude is this is my property. If you guys want to make a movie about it, that's cool. But I, I deserve to be one of the producers who, right. who who's part of that. And story. they get paid. Uh, they do. Yeah, they'll get a, they'll get a credit. And they'll get a fee. Sometimes uh, money afterwards. Uh, percentage. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, participation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sometimes. Um, yeah, it depends on your leverage and your track record, right? Right. right. So like. Jerry Bruckheimer and Will Smith, right. like they 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 really participate in the success of their movies. <laughs> Jerry Bruckheimer is one of the most legendary. Oh. It's been what forty years, and, going and, back to Tom Cruise and even before that, and is essentially kind of created his own almost genre in the in the sense of these big, fun blockbuster action movies that that, that he's known for. Yeah, um, both it, Tom his track Cruise? record is ridiculous. Right. Like you know, just in terms of the amount of franchises he has mm-hmm. he has launched, um, and. You know, it's so hard to make a good movie, and he's made so many. So yes. at some point, you know, it's not luck anymore. It's no, the it's not luck. He's got a vision, and he, and he, and he you know, there's and a he reason knows how to execute. That, he, that he's the way he is, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I've got to see it recently on Bad Boys Four, and it's 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 real. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's magical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had uh, dinner with him and a couple of other people. He he listened. He he's probably spoke the least oh, at yeah. the dinner. Oh yeah. Mm. Everyone was there was That's a lot so it was 10 people. He yeah. spoke the least but he, he But just, when he spoke it oh, had impact. Is it that was what it was so smart and it was very positive. He was always positive. Oh yeah. No and he just doesn't waste his words. Yeah. So like there were plenty of times where we're all yapping away <laughs> and he would just kind of kick back and listen. And let yeah. us kind of spin around, and then eventually he'd kind of stop us politely and funny in a fun way, and say, "Okay, that's enough of that. Here's here's what we're doing." Yeah, <laughs> and he still and, and, and he was dead right. <laughs> yes. and, and what we said with thousands of words, he said with six. Yeah, and that was it. That's amazing. And you listen, and you yeah. do it, and, and he gets yeah. it made. He gets yeah. it done again and again. Well, you know, 
Well, that, and so that's, I guess that's why I wanted to bring that, which is like, there's the different kinds of producers. There's the financiers, there's the rights holders. There's all the, there's all these other categories where you can get a producer credit because of something you brought to the table. Right. Good. The, it but, couldn't be made without you on some Yeah, level. you had some right. critical piece of the, of the you know, property. Um, then there's the Jerry Bruckheimers and the creative producers of the mm -hmm. world, and which is what I do as well. Those and, are the real producers. Well, Meaning they're the, the day to day, yeah, you know, from no, the and, beginning and, to the end. Right. Yeah, maybe you don't want to call them the yeah, real producers. Not That's because, not right. Because like yeah. a live yeah. producer is a, is is a producer, of course, and I'm they're sorry. not create in the creative realm. But holy shit, they move mountains, right? Yeah. And, and, and their job is so complicated and yeah. so critical, and, yeah. and they own every minute of responsibility um, and the financial repercussions. I do that come not with envy it. the line yeah. producer's job. That so like a line a producer, job. I, I sometimes feel like a moron when I'm near a line producer <laughs> because like I'm talking about story stuff, but they're talking about like permits and logistics yes. and Parking. like, like real, real stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, well, like on emancipation. Oh, Chris Brigham was our line producer Chris on that Brigham one. Was He's a legend. He did yeah. the bond movie just before that. And Scorsese movies. And you know, he just, is this unflappable. So unflappable. Right. Like crazy things would be happening. And I don't even mean in a bad way, just like bombs yeah. in the his thing. And he's like, how are you today? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm great. He's yeah. just, he's so relaxed. He just, nothing, nothing bothers him. He's it's seen amazing. it all. And he just knows there's always a way to solve it. Yeah. You know? Um, the and, thousands of sheets of steel so that the trucks could, could uh, yeah. go on oh, top oh, yeah. of the, the logistics. Mud. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's right. almost like running a military operation. Right. Yes. Right, where you have a base that services the next base that services the next base. You need medical safety and food and yes. all this. And so that's, he's creating this fresh like, water, like, like a military operation. It, it is was a, right. Um, and you need to be efficient. You need to be safe. And you also need to provide the filmmaking team with the environment that they need yeah. to make their work. Right. And that's so, called the line producer, the line producer. Right. Right. So, so there's, so there's, yeah. So there's rights holders, there's talent reps who sometimes get in there. There's the line producers who really make, physically make the movie. Their counterpart at studios is physical production. So there's physical production heads at studios and there's line producers on movies and they live in that same world of, of hiring crew and, and creating budgets and schedules and permits. And, and So now let's get into your thing, which so is the creative, creative producer. producer. Yes, so the creative producer is, I guess what a lot of people probably imagine when they think of a producer, right? right. So, I, so it was good to like, address the other categories, mm -hmm. but the classic kind of um, Hollywood idea of, a, of what a producer is, is, is usually the creative one, right? And so that's, that means that, you know, as a creative producer, you're out there trying to identify a movie, put it together, make it, and get it out to the world, you know? So you're starting at the very beginning, finding the project. Like literally the beginning, <clears throat> in the sense of sometimes it's just a, hey, what if we did this one day and that begins the ball rolling? Or right. it's a script that lands in your lap that's really good and you say, hey, we could do something with this if we put the yeah. right talent together. Or or it's a an idea that you've always wanted to work on and you just go find a writer and you shape it up, you know? Around how many projects are you working on at one time? Yeah, um, <clears throat> right currently uh, I have 45 projects in development. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that average? Or I would say it's average for a big production company. Right. You know, mm -hmm. I guarantee you Imagine or Chernin or Jerry Bruckheimer have more. Right. Yeah. My you daughter, know? you know, my daughter's a creative uh, executive yeah. and she says she's at this moment working on 10 projects, but it's a small company. Yeah, exactly. She, she says that the division. filmation, like yeah. genre division, yes. that, yeah, yes. which is yes. awesome. I really yeah, want to work yeah. with them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, 
45. The reason we have 45 projects is because we um, at Westbrook, Will and Jada's company, set out to do something where we would make the classic Will Smith movies, whether they're new originals like King Richard or Emancipation or, you know, classic franchises like uh, Bad Boys or I Am Legend or right. Men, Men in Black, Black yeah. right? Also movies for, um, you know, for Jada, also movies for uh, Willow and Jaden, who aren't technically, I think, in the company in the way that Will and Jada are, but like we're always looking for content for them. And then uh, also looking for new movies to make that don't rely on the Smith family talent. Mm -hmm. You know, w we get a lot of incoming for the family mm -hmm. that maybe isn't right for them, but could be right for somebody else. Right. Right. And so we kind of set out to say, hey, just because Will passes on it doesn't mean that Keanu Reeves shouldn't do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So instead of just yes or no for Will, there should be a third category, which is no for Will, yes for someone else. Right. Yeah. Right. And that Let's you'll make produce more movies. It. Yeah. Right. And so, and then we also are doing animation now and documentaries. And so the goal is eventually to have a, a year in the next few years where we do a Will movie, a Jada movie, a movie with outside talent, yeah. um, a documentary, and an animated movie. And yeah. some right? of them you can finance yourself. Yes, we could. We, so, we definitely finance development ourselves, and we want to raise so you're money becoming to finance. This, you, you, yeah. You're transitioning into a, a small studio, a mini studio. Yep, exactly. Right. And if you have enough, you know, leverage in 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 the deal making, if you have like let's say a great Will Smith script, mm -hmm. you can hopefully negotiate that. You can say, hey, we want to make this with you, but let us co-finance it with you, Paramount. You know, right. mm -hmm. or let us fully finance it and just you guys distribute it. You know, yeah. right. Um, you can't just do that anytime but you can do it when you basically have something that is so wanted that you can try to negotiate those terms so right. that's always a goal because you know who wouldn't want to participate in the success of a movie that you helped launch yeah. right um most people don't realize how long some of these things take they think oh let's just make a movie and you put it up and in six months it's done yeah well that's a great point so each movie yeah it takes like three to five years at best some take 10 or 20 uh like you said bad, bad boys, boys three, three 17, 17 years. years yeah <laughs> a lot of times you'll there will be a great movie and the interview will come out and they'll, they'll the director will reveal they've been working on it for 10 or 20 years oh yeah you know um because it was a passion project it never got over the top mm -hmm. they always loved it they never gave up on it and then finally the pieces fell into place and they got yeah. it done right so that's why you need 45 projects in development yeah right. because even if you do your job right and even if somehow magically you had 45 great scripts, which will never happen, um, <laughs> but pretend you did, it's the odds of those movies still getting made greenlit and shot and, and released are still super slim. So like of those 45 projects in development, if five of them become movies, then we've done a fantastic job. Mm -hmm. right? So you need to incubate tons of projects because if you just develop, if you just thought, okay, I know which five we're gonna make and you just worked on those five, then you might make somewhere between zero and one movie. Yeah. Right? But if you have 45 running simultaneously, just inevitably some are gonna die in the vine, but maybe the one that you never thought is gonna rise to the top and mm -hmm. happen, right? So like you need, it's a numbers game a little bit when it comes to it development is. because development is so unpredictable because it's art. And so mm -hmm. maybe a writer shows up and just crushes it. Yeah. Or maybe they show up and just completely miss it. And that doesn't mean that they're good or bad writers. It just yeah. it's just part of the nature. Yeah. American Beauty Ball, I think, was the writer's name. Yeah. Ball, Alan, yeah, American Alan Ball, Beauty. yeah, Alan Ball, uh, Alan Ball. So Spielberg said the script was perfect. This is the story, and they didn't change it. And they just when they got it, and they just shot that script. They hired uh, 
first Sam, time Sam Mendes, first yep. time director yep. Sam Mendes, who is a theater Big theater guy, guy yeah. in England, yeah, and turned into this classic film. Yep. And yep. sometimes you get lucky, yeah, and sometimes you do shoot the script. I, I've been around a couple of those, um, and then other times it's the opposite, where the script is kind of a, a rough sketch, <laughs> and you, you're you're making changes on the fly, yeah, um, and I've seen that end up good or bad also. <laughs> so totally. there really isn't uh, any, any like certainty you can latch on to. William yeah. Goldman, that, I always tell everyone to read that book. Uh, which Adventure, line Adventures in the Screen uh, Trade. Adventures in the Screen Trade. Oh, That's yeah. the first one, which yeah. line tell is great. But <laughs> that he, one's also great. he lays it out perfectly. <laughs> Nothing has changed in terms, even though technology has changed. The book is a must read if you want to yeah. know how the screen industry works, how the yep. film industry works. Yep. He 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 brings particularly two gigantic blockbusters, supposedly blockbusters. One was Independence Day, mm -hmm. and the other one was Mars Attacks, coming yep. out simultaneously about Martians. Yep, yeah, <laughs> with hundred over a hundred million, hundred fifty million each on the budget. Yep, one has ten Academy Award winners. The other one has just top-notch actors. Yep, mm -hmm. and. The one that they thought was going to be a smash guaranteed Mars Attacks bombs. Yeah. And Independence Day Independence goes crazy. Day yeah. goes biggest movie ever. I've been there. I When I was working for Scott Stuber, who now runs Netflix, yeah. we had a deal at Universal. He yeah. and Mary Parent had, had been co-chairman at Universal and, and started a production company. And I, I, that's, I joined them over there yeah. um, and uh, made a bunch of fun movies with them. Um, they're incredible producers and now studio heads, both of them. Yeah. Mary runs Legendary, Stuber runs Netflix. Oh, wow. Um, so I got to like work under them, see what they do. And I ended up on two projects simultaneously, uh, Battleship and Ted. Right. Yeah. Okay. What was the and second one? Ted. 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 Oh, Ted. So, Ted. so Battleship and Ted. So we're making both at the same time. Right? Oh my God, Battleship is and hilarious. So Battleship is a $200 million movie. Right. But it's based on this huge IP. Of course. For, and and the, the kind of studio thinking at the time was, well, Transformers worked for Paramount. Right. Mm -hmm. So I guess Battleship, Battleship is going to work for Universal. Yeah. Right. And so let's just make a Battleship movie. Yeah. Um, kind of this like false positive. Yeah. Uh, right. Of yeah. like, and you know, and not appreciating when you look a little deeper, it's like, well, Transformers <laughs> had characters and Battleship, Battleship has like Battleship. plastic <laughs> pegs and right. you're just kind of blind targeting uh, right, plastic right, pegs. Right. Yeah. But um, whatever the case, I remember when we were making that movie, it was like, okay, Battleship's gonna be a hit, it's gonna be a franchise, it's it's like a guaranteed like winner. Right. Sure, it had a, a lot of big stars. And then, yeah, exactly. I mean, stars, like Liam Neeson, Alexander yeah. Skarsgård, Taylor Kitsch, Rihanna. Jesse Plemons, Rihanna, <laughs> Pete Berg, who's an amazing yes. director, who, yes. who did the best possible job I, you I could know. ever Aaron do with that assignment. I worked with Pete Berg on assignment. multiple projects. Yeah, I worked yeah. with Peter, Pete on, uh, on right. uh, Hancock. Hancock. Yeah, yeah. Right. he's yeah. the best. Oh yeah. my God, he's yes. spectacular. Um, so, you know, super. to your point, super smart people, mm -hmm. tons of resources, huge IP, this thing's got to work. And then Ted is this $50 million R-rated stoner teddy bear movie. And people are like, that's going to get you fired. <laughs> like, that's going to, that's guaranteed to fail. A vulgar teddy and, bear. And, and not just fail, but be embarrassing. Be embarrassed. And yeah. so basically like. Seth MacFarlane, right? Yeah. He's the, he's right. the right. But they didn't so, know at no, that I point. No, I know, I know. Well, and he was a huge, you know, uh, success in, in television, and, and he's a visionary, but he hadn't mm -hmm. done a film yet. No, right? that was his but, first, yeah. So it's like, I remember people telling me, like, Battleship's going to work, Ted's going to fail, and, like, congrats and sorry. Basically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? And then, sure enough, the opposite happens, yeah. right? All of a sudden, 
Battleship comes out and kind of struggles, uh, despite surrounding it with the best possible people, yeah. um, doing their best work. And then Ted creeps up on everybody and just opens huge. And at the end of the day, Battleship cost 200 and made 400, and Ted cost 50 and made 500. Yeah. You know, and there was no Battleship sequel, but there was a Ted 2, and now there's a Ted TV series on Peacock, yeah, right? So, right. like, yeah. It just goes to show, like, no one knows. Right. Mm -hmm. And you could slap as many Academy Award winners as you want onto a project. It doesn't mean it's going to work. Nope. But Seth MacFarlane had a really clear vision. He, he knew exactly the movie he wanted to make, you know? And even if it sounded crazy, it was like a, he was certain. And it had a statement. It was, it was a movie about maturity. It's a, it's a, it's, right. you know, when you, yes, it's a fun comedy about a stoner teddy bear that is crude. Yes. But when you think about the metaphor, it's pretty obvious, right? It's like a man child with his teddy bear who is in a relationship and is struggling to grow up. Yeah. Right? Yes. The clarity of the vision so important. Yeah. They still needed a brilliant script. Yes. Yes. Brilliant director. Yes. Brilliant actors, brilliant cinematographer, perfect sound. I mean, yes. The, and the, by the special way, effects. was like was like <laughs> the three of the first five you just listed there. Right, so, right, yes. right, right, Because right, right. He, he wrote the script with, with yeah. his collaborators, Sulkin and Wilder, amazing, from Family Guy. Mm -hmm. um, but, but still collaborators. Yes, mm -hmm. but that script was, the script itself was hilarious. <laughs> I know. Mm -hmm. um, he directed it. He performed right. the bear. Yeah. He also wrote a bunch of other things on it, you know, music and everything else. So, like, the singular vision of that movie um is probably what let it succeed, despite it being the craziest idea of all time. It's, yes, you know, and he can repeat it. That's why we know he's brilliant. But he's going to fail too. He will, he'll, make, he'll make any, mistakes. Right. Yeah. I don't know anyone who yeah. does yeah. one. Yeah. They all have that. Yes, I don't care who. No they one's are. immune. That's a, it's impossible. Yeah. Stanley Kubrick. Oh, he made some bad movies. We you you name your favorite director or <laughs> right. actor, and we can bring they up had a, stinker. a stinker. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. And th but that's important for everyone to know that you're not going to. You're not going to hit a home run. It, and nobody has all the answers. Uh -uh. Right. And I like baseball because in baseball, to the metaphor, because in baseball, to be a, a Hall of Fame baseball player, you you lose two out of three times. Yes. Yes. Two out of three times you fail. Yes. 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 Two out of three, mm -hmm. you fail. Yeah. That means that's terrible. Yes. <laughs> yes. And you're now you're in the Hall of Fame. Than a coin flip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you, John. What, what was the first movie that you saw from beginning to end? Because I feel like that's a big marker in most producers' creative yeah. life of like the thing where you were like, I saw it, I started it, I worked on it, we got it into production, and we distributed it. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's, it's a really cool one for me. Uh, it, was, it was like a rosy picture of how the film industry works, which yeah. maybe is what like encouraged me to keep going yeah. until I realized <laughs> I like, that you were like oh, you know, I'm going back to law school yeah no, <laughs> I if, quit. It been, if it had been a real shitty one maybe I would have, you know? <laughs> um, no it was crazy it was uh, I was working for Brian Lord the big agent at CA I was his assistant in the mailroom uh, in the in the training program after the mailroom I joined Brian Lord's desk and he would you know get a tons of great material because he represented Robert De Niro and Brad Pitt mm -hmm. and Uma Thurman and all kinds of crazy talent um and uh, the script for The Rookie came in, the Dennis Quaid baseball movie. Oh, yeah. Great Okay, script. And it was going to be George Clooney and some other big director mm -hmm. for a minute, and then that package fell apart. But I remember that script being, I was just like, this script's awesome. And yeah. I, I, I'm like a sports nut, so I was, you know, I was like already loving it. Yeah. Um, but it was just this really special script by this amazing writer, Mike Rich. And I remember that it landed with these new producers, and I was ready to kind of make my move out of the agency. Mm -hmm. And... 
through some various connections, I basically was like, I want to go. I went to the CIA guys and said, I want to go join this new production company. Um, and one of their scripts was The Rookie. Mm-hmm. So uh, got the blessing, made the move, and started as like basically the assist. It was two producers. Mm-hmm. I was their assistant and their head of development. Okay. Because oh, wow. that's how small the company yeah. was. Yeah. Um, so I'm answering phones, but also reading scripts. <laughs> yeah. It's um, a lot of work. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, but, but so we're making this movie, The Rookie. Yeah. And um, it's going to be at Disney and it's going to be with Dennis Quaid. And we did, uh, the first draft was amazing. Like, like I talked about, mm-hmm. we, we did a rewrite and the studio literally said, sorry, the first draft was perfect. Let's just go back and shoot the first draft. Never seen that happen, and yeah. I don't think we'll ever see that again. Yeah. But they basically, the studio admitted that they, they didn't even wrong. need to fix the script. Right, 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 right. Because that's how good the script was. Yeah. Right. So already that's too good to be true. So yeah. that, that was nice, Like where <laughs> yeah. the development process is like success before you've begun. Yeah. Um, Nina Jacobson was the head of the studio. She was incredible. She became a huge producer, mm-hmm. um, but she was such a good studio executive because um, she was super creative and smart. Um, so we go to make that movie and she, I think it was, it was Nina had the the vision of like Disney movies, sports movies can, can be soft. Yeah. So she hired this director, Gavin O'Connor, who had done an indie movie that was a little rougher around the edges. Mm -hmm. And basically her attitude was like, I'm going to counteract the sweet, soft saccharine thing with the director who's got a little bit of edge. Yeah. The combination of those two things made a rookie really good movie. Yeah. Um, and anyway, we went down to Austin, Texas. We had John Schwartzman, the legendary cinematographer. Mm-hmm. Um, and we shot the movie and it was a breeze and we tested it and it scored like a 99. Oh, wow. And we locked it and we put it out and it made a bunch of money. <laughs> and it was like, and you thought, yeah, that's Oh it. my God, this it's always going to be this yeah, way. Yeah, it cost us 20 million, it made 80. Everybody loved yeah, it. Yeah. Reviews are great. Yeah. You know, it was pre-Rotten Tomatoes, but it would have had a crazy awesome Rotten Tomatoes. Yes, totally. And, um, yeah, so I was like, oh, this is great. This is easy. Oh. <laughs> it's just going to be like yeah. this from here on out. Easy, easy, you know? Yeah. Easy. Never happened again, but it was, uh, it was, it was really cool. <laughs> what do we call it? That's uh, the thing in The Alchemist is like beginner's luck. Like it's it's like a thing of like yes. that you get this little taste of success right at the beginning. And not that you were at the beginning, but <clears> at that point in your life to get that big win maybe sets you up for the problems that will undoubtedly arise and the, the yeah. conflict and the, the bad things. Cause there's always going to be conflict and difficulties. Yeah. It's cool though. Well, to have you that. know, John, you said never happen again. It, it did King Richard, which you, you were so instrumental on it. I'm not saying there weren't problems, but that was a great shoot. It was pretty much. Oh no, it was the shoot. The creative, there right. was no creative bumps. That's right? what I'm yeah. saying. Like we knew what we were trying to do in that movie. Cause we had, the perfect set of elements. We right. had a great script, a great director, mm-hmm. great actors. Great we had producers. we had all the tools. Yeah. The, the only nightmare we dealt with in that movie was COVID. I know. You know, uh, it was a nine week shoot. Which we shot three weeks. Turned positive. Shut down for six oh months. Yes. And then had to go pick up the last six weeks. <clears throat> right. That was intense. That was. Yeah. Producers turned it positive because the girls looked older. Looked older, and, and they the were supposed job. to look older. Yeah. I know. And they it was were supposed mad. to be four years later. <laughs> And they look like they grew up. That kind now, of was who would, magical. Who would know that? That's kind of like we <laughs> talked about earlier with the kitchen scene, where sometimes what seems like the disaster sets you into a better place. Yes, because right? they really did yeah. grow. What, yeah. two inches, something, you know. They oh, were, yeah. No, they, they look substantially more mature. Yes. And, and it actually helped sell it in a way that we couldn't have done if we had shot it yes. consecutively, right? Yes. So, yeah. It's crazy how that worked. Um, and Emancipation was similar. You know, 
we never really had any creative bumps. We had weather bumps, <laughs> and, uh, right? We had a, a tornado, <laughs> not a tornado, a hurricane. hurricane. We had tornadoes also, but we, we did but, get uh, a, a major hurricane. Five weeks, six weeks? Six weeks down, hurricane. Six, I, you know, I, I have to say, everybody just kept such a positive attitude in yeah. such difficult physical conditions. And that yeah. was like, everybody just banded together. It just felt like every day everybody was like, yeah, we're doing this. Yes. <laughs> like, snakes, yeah, yeah. snakes it was hurricanes, physically tornadoes. It was uncomfortable. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. 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 105 degree temperature where everyone was fainting. And Will was such a leader on that too, to just be like plunging into swamp water when I was yes. like, I wouldn't go near that swamp water. No, it's still insane that that happened. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. But you know, you'd asked about, yeah, the first movie. So the first movie was The Rookie yeah. and it was a smooth, awesome ride. Yeah. Um, and I had a couple more to follow that were also really good experiences too. The yeah. next one was Miracle, the hockey oh, movie. yeah. That and that was, was super personal to me because I played hockey my whole life and played hockey in Massachusetts where a lot of the story was based. So... That was a great. That movie. was a special one, mm -hmm. um, and then Invincible with Mark Wahlberg mm -hmm. was the next one. Oh yeah! So got to do like three in a row of these inspirational true stories. All three were written by Mike Rich, um, mm -hmm. produced by these guys that I was working for, Mark Charity and Gordon Gray, who were really good at, at what they do. Um, and and yeah, so these were like these. I was starting to get into this like underdog true story sports niche movie, right? right. Yeah. Um, and then took the leap to go work with Scott and Mary, and and started doing kind of. Movies of all shapes and sizes. Yeah. Right. Um, to a larger corporation. Yeah. But I do love those three movies were so fun to make. They're so fun to watch. Oh, Audiences yeah. love these feel good, true inspirational stories. So um, still have that and mm -hmm. still want to do that. King Richard is that. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Pursuit of Happiness is that. Yeah. Uh, Straight Out of Compton, I got to work with at Universal was that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I'll always have a soft spot for like the. The inspirational. Oh, the biopic. underdog. underdog. Oh, it's so. Yeah. There was a moment, I, I don't know if it was Nina, but someone at Disney at one point labeled them chick flicks for guys. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty cool and pretty right on. Oh my God, right? I love that so much. Yeah. See, it's so funny because, you know, Aaron, Aaron will sometimes, you know, he'll, he, or or various people will say, like, oh, that's a chick flick. I and I'm like, say it. I really just, I, I keep saying, um, you know, uh, okay, if you label that a chick flick, then I'm calling this movie a dick flick. Yes, <laughs> she, she does. She it was Disney, so they couldn't say it that way. But they were, they were <laughs> yes, like yes, yes. No, but it, it, and I think the reason that they said it, and it, to to that point, is like about wish fulfillment, right? Like sometimes you create movies that draw an audience in because of wish fulfillment, yeah. right? In a romantic comedy, it's what if I found, you know, the love of my life, yes. right? right? In sports movies, for guys, especially like washed up losers <laughs> like myself, it's like it's like. Both The Rookie and Invincible are stories of like washed up old dudes who get another shot at going pro. Yes. Right, right. So right. we all secretly are sitting in the audience going like, what if I could do that? Maybe my arm's still, yeah. still got some juice left in it. You know? Right? So we're never going to yeah. make it to the, to play on the Eagles or, yeah, or for get Major that League Baseball. Taste of it. But we can, the movie allows us to imagine maybe we can. Yeah, yeah. Right? that's so true. That's, that's why we love yeah. it. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. In the same way that like 16 Candles makes you think, that maybe the hot guy in the school is going to choose you. Yes. Right? Oh, God, yeah. totally. Yeah. You know, About a Boy is actually one of my favorite movies. You ever seen that with Hugh Grant? Yeah. yeah. And it's like that movie is actually his story. Yeah. It's his story of growth and development. Yeah. And yet we think of it as like a romance or a romantic comedy. It's very funny. Yeah. But it's like this movie is actually about a man's development. Yeah. yeah. It's 
all of them get that. But well, about a boy, he's a boy. I know. That's yeah. the, the, it, but he's it's a the boy, comedy. not the yes. I know, the and it's yes. a chick flick, but I think it's very satisfying on all level. Yep. Did you say it's a chick women. flick? Well, that's what people would say. I it's a chick flick. I don't know. I wouldn't call it a chick flick. Oh, <laughs> so he's the arbiter of what yeah, the chick flicks yeah, are. Yeah. I see. Uh, <laughs> subjective. <laughs> <you know? laughs> but yeah, and I would say, like, generally speaking, um, the genre of movie dictates what type of emotion you're going for, yeah. right? So, like, yeah, rom-com is about love and, mm -hmm. you know, finding love and, and, and navigating that. And, right. and sports movies are, are about, like, what if I still got it kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, and, right. yeah, um, yeah. But, like, John Wick is what if I was so strong that if somebody fucked with me and my puppy, I could put them all down. Right. Right. right? So there's an empowerment wish fulfillment there. Yeah. Right? Revenge. Or, total. Yes. Yeah. Or a mm -hmm. horror movie, the point is to make you feel scared. Right. Yeah. Or a comedy to make you laugh. So, like, it's one of the important litmus tests we do in development is taking a step back from your project and saying, what's this movie trying to deliver to the audience? What, mm -hmm. what you know, movies should make people feel a certain way. How are we trying to make them feel in this movie? Yeah. Right? Um, and once you identify that, then you have like a North Star and then you build around that. Yeah. And then you try not to forget that. Yeah. Right? So like each genre has its own kind of emotional want. Yeah. You know? Oh, so lo I love that. That's really interesting. So, you know, so often I'm, I'm reading uh, uh, friend scripts or, or things like that. And it's it's sometimes very difficult, especially if somebody's writing something that's very personal to them yeah. to communicate like the it's not that the subject isn't interesting. It's what do you want the audience to feel? Yes, that's a great um, way to reframe it. It is. Well, and also, yeah, the, there's nothing I shouldn't say worse, but there's when people try to write personal stories. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they don't realize that it's the story is meaningful to them because it's full of context that they haven't shared with the audience. Right. Oh. Because, totally. Because so it's kind of like, I guess you have to be there. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. In the so sense what's of like, significant this, about this it? Moment, this moment was so significant. It meant it meant so much to me and it made me feel so, so certain way. Right. How but do you you're translate? Like, but I don't know. Right. How do you, how you grew up the audience? what your yeah. parents said to you? And, yeah. Right. So like sometimes these really personal stories. Yeah can just go right over your head. Yeah. Right? Um, well, the movie Minari, right? That movie yep. is like such an incredible, but what works about it is that it fills in so much of the world that we can actually appreciate all of these things about the, the chickens, you know? Yes. And like, what do the little baby chickens mean? And the squashes and the, and he did if, a great what job. what if me and my family ended up in a similar situation and would mm -hmm. we be able to persevere? Are we able to get through it? Even if we weren't from that culture or yes. that place. And or, don't speak English. Right. Oh man. Like, but like, so it, it like that movie, even if you totally can't relate to it personally, you can imagine yes. if, because they provide you with the context. They right? do. They so, provide That enough. was yeah. my family. What do you mean? My family wasn't Korean, but they were Polish. Yep. And they had no money. And didn't and speak English. They were in the camps, in the repatriation camps. Uh, the, what were they called? The uh, in, in, Refu into, refugee, refugee camps. camps. Yep. Came over to the United States because of a relative. Yep. Not a word of English. Yep. And had to make it. And it was really hard. And, <laughs> and, yeah, and that like that the cultural specificity of that yes. or Minari is, is really unique, but there's a universality to those tales. Yeah. Because not just yes. even American, like across the globe, Everywhere. everybody understands mm -hmm. being a refugee. Uh, being a refugee, being sent to a new place where Outsider. you're not uh, familiar and you're right. not really welcomed. And how do you yes. figure it out? Right? Yes. Um and so, yeah, you don't need to actually mm -hmm. be part of the specific focus to mm -hmm. appreciate the the feeling of it, yeah. right? 
Um, but when translated well, we'll all understand. Yeah, Straight Outta Compton was was a really cool one for that because mm -hmm. like the bad version of that movie, the 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 challenge of that movie would be, well, who wants to see a period '80s movie about gangster rap? Oh <laughs> right. yeah, like, and that was a challenge that like yeah. the studio faced and. Donna Langley, the head of Universal, was basically just like, sorry, we're making this movie, period. I don't care yeah. what she said. Yeah. Right? So she just kind of decided, yeah. I'm going to make, there's someone special. I'm Whether you it get happen. it or not, it's happening. Yes, because she had a vision for why mm -hmm. it would work. And the vision um, and the marketing department, Josh Goldstein, who you guys know, who, who runs yes. Warner's marketing, but used to run Universal, and Sony was involved in a lot of Will's big hits. Um, they all closed in on kind of the universality of that movie. Mm -hmm. And the opening of the trailer, if you guys remember, just put that stake in the ground. The opening of the trailer is Dr. Dre walks into the kitchen of his house and his mom is like, why aren't you going to school? Why aren't you working? Are you, you're pursuing this bullshit DJ stuff. And, and he's like, I got paid last night. And she's like, 50, 50 bucks, that's it. And he goes, it's a start. Mm -hmm. But everybody knew that Dre had just become rap's first billionaire. Yes. Yeah, right, so, right. so the gag was a kid with a dream in a kitchen with 50 bucks in his pocket could become a legend billionaire. Yeah, right. right. Which meant anybody watching that movie could say, well, I got a dream and I got 50 bucks in my pocket. Mm -hmm. Maybe I can become a legend. Yeah. And maybe the it's theme. not a rap. Maybe it's whatever. whatever yeah. Doesn't matter. So you could like go on this very specific journey of uh -huh. gangster rap, but apply it to whatever the hell you're into. You yep. know? And that's what lets it go beyond just NWA fans. It it became just a movie about people aspiring to create you know, their dreams, right? And and that's why it opened to $60 million instead of $6 million. Yes. Right. Because they, Donna and Josh and team, found the universal perspective in the very small, unique story that it was. Yeah. Aaron worked on the beginning of that in the pre-production. He's working with the actors because he works with F. Gary oh, yeah. Gray and yeah. has worked yeah. with him in the past. And so I remember reading the script and being like, this is totally different. Like, we've not seen this movie. Yes. And uh, it was exciting to see them putting out this kind of a film that nobody was making at that point in time yeah it was great it, it's, it's a weird combo because you'd think gangster rap would would live in a different emotion than friendship and sadness and hopes <laughs> yes, and dreams yes and, family right? yeah it, it, well they weren't yeah. gangsters that's the other thing that's that's a misnomer it's a they were not gangsters no you they know? did gangster rap <laughs> right but they were artists no they yeah. were artists yes. they really were yeah. artists dr and gray they, was look, not a they, gangster and they, they i mean they partied but no any but, but they were artists first any more different you know? than rock and rollers party not even close probably yeah i mean it's a label that we place to uh, like culturally pinpoint the the world that it came from. Yes. But to say, you know, were they personally gangsters? I, I don't know. D does it matter? Well, it, to me, it matters because it moves into racism. Oh, because they yeah. were not, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, 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 the, the four, there was, Dr. Dre was not, he was a middle, from middle class family. Ice Cube. Your Ice Cube was a, was a one had a wonderful family that he came from, you know, and and uh, easy easy, e. easy was a drug dealer, but he wasn't a poor people make money sometimes by dealing drugs, not the big drug dealers. They deal it to friends. Yep. They you know mm -hmm. it, it it's an issue of poverty. Yeah, you know. Yep. And then the fourth one was MC Ren. MC, MC Ren. Ren. Yep. And he was again not none of these people were gangsters. No, I, I mean, again, I, I can't presume to totally know their stories, but we got to learn it pretty well. Working, right. And Cube and Dre were hands-on producers in that movie. Absolutely. Yeah, so they yeah, really yeah. oversaw and made sure it was authentic. But, yeah. like, yeah, it, it 
my takeaway was there were artists right. who, who came from an environment yeah. that had informed their kind of perspective on gangster yes. culture, right. which they spoke to through their music. Yeah. Um, and they probably lived it whether they wanted to or not because right. of their proximity <laughs> yes. to it. Yeah, you can't um, avoid it. Is, is right. perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. But it starts with their artists, they, you know. That, 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 and, and they right. still are today, and they, right? Yes. And, and they do, the environment they came from was yes. terrible. It was, yeah. it was. But they, 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 they took their environment and turned it into art. Yeah. Turned it right yeah. into art, capitalism. Yeah. Becoming the richest yes. men in the world. <laughs> By the way, you're right. Capitalism, I mean, they they, they were great businessmen, too. They yeah. understood yeah, they leading exactly. into the stereotype of being a gangster rapper. Yes. They embraced that as characters, right? I yeah. mean, they, they, yes. And, and you hear that more today, but like uh, some artists acknowledge like there's there's my outer me and there's my real me. <laughs> yes. Right. And I think back then, maybe you didn't even appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And you actually thought like, they were doing the shit they were saying in their lyrics, right? <laughs> yeah. and they weren't. They well, were talking about people they knew and, right, and yeah. things they had seen, yeah. and, and maybe they fucked around with some stuff. But so, yeah, yeah. if you're a writer and you write uh, novels about spies, James Bond, yeah, right. So does that mean you? That's what you do? <laughs> no, I mean it's, you know that, that yeah. it's ridiculous. You're creating art. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes, yeah. he didn't do. Ian Fleming didn't do that. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think we're we're about coming to the end. Is there anything else we want to talk about? Well, let's ask John. It's such. It, I can't tell you how much fun it is talking with you. John. Well, it's awesome you know, talking to you guys. I mean, look, I'm I'm lucky to have gotten to work with you guys and with Will and with all the people I've gotten to work with over the years. We're so, gonna do more. You know, just trying to stack things you learn from everybody you get to come across. <laughs> but you know, the question about what producers do, like just to wrap that up at the end yeah. of the day, the creative producer. Like, you talked about sitting on set. That's, that's a really good point because yeah. um, we got to find a bunch of these stories and they come from all different sides. Maybe we generate them, maybe somebody else generates it and brings it mm -hmm. to us. We got to try to kind of push it through the system and, you know, get the talent involved, get, mm -hmm. get, a, get an actor, get a director, get it set up at a studio. Then you got to prep it. Then you got to shoot it. Yeah. And then you got to edit and market it. But the shooting part is interesting because mm -hmm. if you've done your job right as a producer, in all that lead up in the development and the prep. Yeah. Um, there should be lots of stretches of time where you don't need to intervene. Right. Where no one needs to hear your freaking opinion. But you're right. there. Right. But you're right. there. They're watching. But like a good day is when you're at the monitors. Yeah. Eating craft service. <laughs> Hanging out. Talking about whatever. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because what that means is the artist that you've collaborated with got it. And right. the whole and they don't, machines work. And, and, and they got working. it in the sense of like, I got this. Yeah. You know. Play, play Scrabble on your phone. Yeah. Right? Because because the script is good and the actors know what they're doing and the director's got their vision and like, God forbid you intervene. Like, yeah. right? So like if, you, if you've done your job as a producer well in the early setup, uh -huh. um, not doing anything on set is a testament to how good of a job you did. Yeah, the right? creative like, machine is humming and you don't yeah, need to intervene. Yeah. And, and there's never gonna be a movie where there's no reason to intervene. But like the best case scenario is that you can sit back and watch the magic happen. And and you were a part of putting the team together to make yeah. the magic happen. But like, don't get in their way. Like if the director, actor and and um, and writer are like in sync, like the worst thing you can do is like put yourself in the middle of that mm -hmm. unnecessarily, you know? So um, anyway, a producer who's who's doesn't seem to be doing much on set either did a great job setting it up 
Or they're out to lunch. They don't really <laughs> but, but I guess what I'm saying is... They're either it, brilliant yeah. and they did a great job or watch or, out. <laughs> or someone else is doing their job for right. them. Right. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. but yeah, so like, I, I guess... And it's funny because there's this microcosm of, of just production, right? So three to five years to make a movie, the production phase is maybe three months. Yeah. Right? right. And a lot of people only see that phase. Oh, I know. It's the, the AD, tip of the iceberg. The line producer, yeah. the costume designer, you know, the actors... Um, they only see that three-month little window. Totally. They didn't see the year or two it took to get it going, and they won't see the year or two it'll take to finish it and put it out. Mm -hmm. So sometimes producers can get a little bit miffed when it's suggested that they're not doing much on set because it's like, you don't even know what we're doing. <laughs> you have right? no idea. Well, that's why you don't know what it took here. to get yes. here, and you don't know what it's right. going to take to get to the end. Yeah. Right? So, so anyway, I guess... If someone sees a producer on set milling about, looking lost, like you know, it doesn't necessarily <laughs> assume that they're doing things. Mean yes. that they're not they're not doing yeah, their job. I know. Yeah, to me, the dream version would be you work real hard through prep and development. Yeah, development and prep. You have such a crack team and such a crack plan yeah. that you barely have to lift a finger through that phase. Yeah. Other than maybe just logistical stuff. Yeah. You know. I know. But like, if the creative is great. Yeah. It's almost like. Don't don't Step mess back. it up. Yeah, and then get in the other room and and, and yeah. work. And, and, and see if what there happens. are no fires, there's nothing to put out. Right, and so you don't want to be. The worst case is the the, the arsonist and the fireman, where you create <laughs> fake problems Light to fix fire. to give yourself a purpose. Right. Oh, and, that's terrible. And that's true in every Do people industry. do that? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, that's oh, so interesting. God, yeah. 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 You know, yeah, anybody producers. trying to... No, I know, but that's what I'm yeah. saying is like, I, I get it. I get it. To be the person who's like, oh, no, there's a problem. I fixed it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. versus, <laughs> versus you just sat around and watched magic happen, right? Yeah. So like that, that urge to like prove your worth. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. You gotta, that, that could be a pitfall sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The ego that needs people yeah. to congratulate look at what, you. Look at what I did. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So so I guess the point is sometimes a good producer can 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 be outside of the action occasionally and, and it still means they're doing their job well. I know. But and that's what's yeah. weird when people are like, What's this guy doing? Why are they here? Yeah. What do yeah. they do for a living? <laughs> but having um, your yeah. face here, that's why I wanted you here. People could see a producer. You could tell us what what you do, because then we're gonna we're going to get editors. Who knows what an e editor? They, they, I know. I love. What's that? that? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> they, totally. We're gonna get. No, we want to get all these people. There is many ways, many paths to be in the film industry. Yes. And you start and out acting some, is just the most visible one, and I right. think sometimes people default to that because they don't understand the possibilities of where. Um, their skill sets could actually be better employed. Yeah. And it's all artistic. It's all creative. Yeah. Yeah. No, it really is. And the, and the editor is a whole magical yes. phase. We, we often talk, talk about it as like it's a rewrite almost. Mm -hmm. That's right. Right? So like you, you did all your script work through the prep and development phase. But when you're in post, that's a different type of rewriting. Yeah. Now you're you're rewriting visual images, yes. but you're still doing rewriting. You're still saying, well, what if we said here this? And what if we put emphasis yeah. on that? And what if we, you know, that, yeah, all the, the fixing. So yeah. editors are like a whole other magical realm that mm -hmm. just take right. you to the next so level. So we want to bring all these artists in. That's what's the it's goal. It's so cool. So, so smart. everyone then starts to understand, oh, there's much more to this that's fulfilling. You don't have to be just stuck in acting. Yes. Well, and, and we talked about it earlier, but like... I think people outside of Hollywood see movies that aren't great and they wonder like what idiot decided right. to make that bad movie. Huh, right. And 
I think if you get under the hood more and you appreciate yeah. the monster collaboration that is required to make movies, you start to appreciate a little more why they don't all work out. Right. Totally. Because every movie was greenlit with the hope and the dream that it's going to be the best movie ever. That's right. 100%, right. When, when, yeah. when you're, everybody looks at it and go, this is going to be the best movie ever. Yeah. And rarely they are, right? Like so most of the time they're not. But it's because you need everybody to be perfect all yeah. the time. And that's impossible. That's almost impossible, right? So somebody's going to stumble and it's going to influence mm -hmm. the quality of the picture. Yeah. So, yeah, like the question is not why do they make so many bad movies? The question is how do they make good movies? You know, <laughs> <That's great. laughs> once you, once you yeah. know how it happens. Yeah. yeah. Like if you got, if me and you want to go to lunch, we can figure out pretty quickly where it is. What if 10 of us want to go to lunch? Oh my God. You want Mexican? That's such a you good sushi? example. You want sushi? You want Italian? I don't know. I mean, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm gluten free and this guy's know, vegan. And, know. uh, you know, two hours later we're hungry and we haven't figured out where to go to lunch. <laughs> right. That's, that's why you need making. a director. That's yeah. why you need somebody to yeah. be like, we're doing that's, this. Yeah. The director's like, movie motherfucker, we're hungry. going to get tacos. <laughs> get, get behind me. Right. And that's, that's, that's yes, how, that's yes. how you really want it. Yeah. Cause great. yeah. And you need a leader too. You know, you, you need to have a leader because if the leader isn't on set deciding what you're doing, somebody's going to fill that void. And the worst versions I've seen are where you got lots of bosses. Yeah. Where it's not clear who who's really running the show. Yep. It becomes a bit of a free for all. And, you know, I don't know. Filmmaking might like authoritarianism a little bit. Well, it you requires no, okay. a, a power yeah. structure. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, some, you know, some directors are much more collaborative, open, and others are much more dictatorial. But it, whatever it is, someone has to be the person who's mm -hmm. steering the ship. Yes. And, and, and by the way, it could sometimes, it's, it's, it should be and it's mostly the director. Yeah. But there's instances where it's the producer. Totally. Like, like Jerry Bruckheimer. Yeah. Right. Or the actor, like Will Smith. Yes. Mm -hmm. Or the studio, you know. That's right. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It's so... But as long as there's, as long as everybody in the room agrees that there's the the lead voice, yes. then you got a shot. Yeah. Um, but once there's like a power vacuum, movies don't seem to like that much. Yeah. No. Yeah. They're too big. Yes. Do you know what I mean? They're so so unwieldy. They're so much. Yes. It's just too many movies. You need parts. someone to cut through the noise and say, "This is what we're doing, guys." Yeah. yeah. Well, I just want to thank you for coming. You know, this is our first oh. producer, and it's going to be so great for everyone to now start to see more about our industry, especially during this time of the strike. It's a good chance for people to re-examine what we do. It's really smart, man. It's awesome. Um, I can't wait to see what else, who else you you know interview and what they have to say. Oh, yeah. We got great people. Yeah, We're going to learn some cool stuff. Yeah. <laughs> acting is the most mysterious of all, by the way. So you guys have that. <laughs> we talk plenty about acting as well. You do? Yeah, yeah, because it's, I think there's just, you know, the last time, the last podcast we released was just about how much how many misconceptions there are about what the acting process is. People just, I think, literally think people just learn lines and figure out how to say them in interesting ways. I yeah. mean, and they think theater. Yeah. They really don't understand. This is not theater. Yeah. What we do is totally not theater. Yes. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. Thank okay. you so much. Thank this you. is Thanks, amazing. Yeah. Really, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Thank you, Coach. Thank you, Kat. Yeah. yeah. Good to see you guys. <laughs> <laughs>